0: Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to another edition of the Slam Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Carroll, joined as always, not by Matt Chivers, but by the other Matt. There are too many Matts working for National Club Golf at the moment. Matt Coles. Welcome, Matt.
1: Yeah, once again, it's it's me instead of, instead of Chiv. Pleasure to be here as always.
0: Yeah, good to have you. Um, a very interesting week. Uh, on tour for late season, quite a lot of stuff happened. We'll get into Lexi Thompson. We'll talk about um, live golf and the official world golf rankings. We will have a look at some events on the DP World Tour, but um, a lot to keep us talking about in the middle of October. Quite pleasing. Normally, everyone's sort of down tools by now, but there was plenty of stuff going on.
1: Yeah, exactly. Obviously, we, we you know we talked about this this fall season and how we won't see most of sort of the top fifty in the FedEx Cup. Uh, standings, you know, playing over the, the last few weeks. Obviously, we, we saw a few of those in action. And, and Lexi, of course, was one of the big stories this week, becoming only the, the seventh, the woman um, to ever play on the PGA Tour. And what a story it was. Um, and, of course, that wasn't the only thing this week. As, as you mentioned, there's plenty else going on uh,
0: for, for mid-October. Well, let's start with Lexi then uh, in the Shriners Children's Open. T.P. Summerlin, I think, in Las Vegas, won by Tom Kim. Very impressive performance by Tom Kim, defending his title. And a um, 21-year-old, he's won three times on the PGA Tour, fixture in the in the World Golf Top 20. Um, excellent performance in majors. Looks like he's going to be a massive start and yet still overshadowed still overshadowed by Lexi Thompson um, playing in this event. She got in, obviously, on a sponsor's exemption. I thought she played pretty well. I think she missed the cut by, what, one, I think. She probably had um, she had a short putt that I saw um, right at the end, whereas I think if she'd made it, she might have made it right on the number, and it just trickled by. But um, fantastic second round of 69, I think. That makes her only the second woman ever to shoot a sub-70 round on the PGA Tour. I believe Michelle Wee West was the only other person to do it. Um, obviously, huge amount of um, – controversy is not the right word – but a huge amount of publicity, and you had people coming out from under all kinds of staircases and saying all sorts of things, none of which we uh, we need to talk about here. But, but what did you make? I mean, for me, this is an event that I wouldn't have watched um, I'm not particularly interested in in the new fall series, um, but I did watch some of it, and I did watch at the times that Lexi was playing. And uh, yes, yeah, shame she didn't make the cut. But what? Do you, so what did you make of um, what happened?
1: I mean, I'm completely in agreement with with you there, and completely, you know, agree with everything you've said about would I have probably watched it? probably probably not. Um, you know, it's. This fall series, of course, it is just, you know, it's more like a qualification process for those who didn't make the top 50 in the in the FedEx Cup standings over the season. And the the addition of, of Lexi Thompson into the draw, um, into the field for this week, really did boost, I think, TV ratings. It boosted everyone's want to watch, and especially mine, because, as you said, I, I also watched while sort of at the times when Lexi was on, and I think. The majority of golf, I'd say at least 90% of, of people in golf were wishing her to, to do well and wanting her to make the cut and become the first since Babes Zaharias Harrius in, in 1945. Um, but as you said, she played very well, um, sub-70 round. She, I don't think she could have done much more. Um, you know, She was driving greens, hitting 300-yard drives. It was, she did not disgrace herself by any means, and I think it's a very good thing for the game. And the
0: women's game as well. You say she couldn't have done more. I mean, she could have made more birdies and made the cut, Matt. I mean, she could, she could have obviously have <laughs> done more, but um, she, 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 she did play absolutely fantastically. I mean, you and Matt Chivers um, debated this during the week because there were obviously, um, particularly on social media, people who claimed that it was a gimmick. I mean, what was your verdict on that? I mean, i
1: i I was along the lines of that it was the perfect moment for this to, to happen as as we mentioned maybe the eyes of, of golf sort of fall away in this this period of time especially after the Solheim Cup and Ryder Cup and the big highs of the team golf and as the PGA Tour hits this fall season the fact that Lexi was brought in and off the back of you know record TV figures for the Solheim Cup for, for women's golf for me I thought it was a perfect opportunity and I thought it was very well done by the sponsors of, of the Shriners Children's Open um, to bring Lexi in, who's been a household name in golf, not just women's golf, but golf in general for you know, 15, 16 years now. Um, and for me, it was, it was like I say, a, a great idea. And obviously, I wish she had a
0: made the cut and played the weekend. Uh, Chiv's written a piece uh, today saying that um, we should use this as a springboard uh, for creating further opportunities. That, that's something you are on board with as well?
1: Yeah, I, I would be. I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't want it to become every week because obviously there's the LPGA Tour and the the Ladies European Tour and obviously plenty of other tours around the world that, you know, focus on on the women's game and we need to, as a a golfing community, we need to, you know, focus, I think, more on the women's game than maybe we we have done in in the past. And I think a lot of people will say that. Um, But I think that it should be more regular than it has been. I mean, Lexi was the first in, I think, was it five years since Brittany Lincecum did so, uh, since she played on, on the PGA Tour. And then, of course, before that, it was Michelle Wee West and, and going further back to Annika and so on. Once a, once a year, I think, would be good, maybe twice a year. Um, You know, and different golfers as well. Not Obviously, I know Michelle Wee West played quite a few times on the PGA Tour. Give Lexi another chance, for sure but then maybe look at, at other players someone like a Charlie I think a Charlie Hull would be great you know we know she's got the distance we know she's got the the, the temperament to, to to play really well and really good golf and I think someone like Charlie would be would be great to play on the on the PGA tour and cuz she she'd take it to the men like like Lexi has um this week with that you know 269 on on Friday um for me it should be a more regular thing for for definitely yeah
0: yeah interesting call on charlie hull um i spoke to her at um aramco team series at centurion and one of the things i was asking her about was um secret for getting more girls into golf and one of the things that she said was play with the boys um she was uh, i think she i think she played at kettering i want to say she played at kettering she did yeah and um she said that she was basically the only girl on the premises there at the Northampton uh, club. And she ended up playing with the boys all the time. And it encouraged her to hit the ball harder as a result because she was always sort of trying to better them all the time. Her motivation was to try and better them and beat them. So she would, she would be an interesting contender in a PGA Tour event. I mean, she certainly wouldn't be a wallflower about it. She'd absolutely try and take it to them.
1: Yeah, completely. And as as I mentioned, obviously, with the long drives, we saw Lexi hit a few over three hundred, you know, she, she was very much, you know, not falling behind when in terms of driving distance this week. And Charlie would be the same. I think it would be I think it would be it would be a great spectacle if, if Charlie was to play on, on the PGA tour. I think that would be one hell of a show that she would definitely bring to to the men's game if that was
0: to happen. Start the petition now you've heard it here first Charlie for the PGA right um, from the PGA tour and Lexi Thompson to another tour um, the live golf tour and the decision by the official World golf rankings last week uh, to deny uh, live golf's application to become an eligible tour um awful lot of uh, comment about this on both sides of the debate where do you stand Let me, let me put you on the spot Coles. Where do you stand? Should live golf be given OWGR status? Now, that is a question, isn't it?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, there are two sides to it, but I would come down on the side of no, they shouldn't. Um, yes, there are some of the best golfers in the world, as we know. You've got Brooks Kepka, major champion, you know, Cameron Smith, Taylor Gooch has been in incredible form this year. But. It's not golf in its purest format for me. It's not the four rounds with with a halfway cut, you know. It's shotgun starts. It's it's just forty eight players. Um, for me, I don't think you can give rankings points for that, and I think that's that's sort of where the you know the, the lines come down on. Is it, I'm not saying it isn't golf because it obviously is, but it's not traditional tour golf as we you know know and love the game and that for me is why i i sort of agree with the decision to not give world ranking points to live golf
0: they're not the uh, only 54 hole tour in the game though are they i mean i'm just reading a piece that was um Published right at the start of the year, where the OG, the OWGR sanctioned a Mexican tour that only has fifty four holes. So I mean, let me let me play devil's advocate. What, what do you think? I mean, look, I don't know if you've read the documentation. The documentation is pretty clear, actually, on why OW the OWGR have denied live an application. I'm not quite sure it's even so much about cuts or the limited field. I think it's more about the fact that that field is set every week. There is some limited promotion and relegation, but I mean, until we see this in, until we see this in operation, it looks pretty arbitrary. I mean, like basically almost two of the captains were in the relegation area. I mean, Westwood definitely was. I don't know if you finished there um, when I was watching live on Sunday, but Kymer was flirting around it as well. And they were both exempt because they were skippers. I mean, it, do you think that that was actually more the OWGR's problem with Live as a ranking entity rather than well, it's 54 holes, it's a shotgun start, it's a shorter format, there's no cut.
1: Yeah, I mean that is obviously a good point, and they both uh, did finishing the in the drop zone. I think I looked at it this morning. Um, I know, obviously, cam has been injured a lot this this year; he hasn't played as much. Um, but and we know what Lee Westwood's form has been like, as Eddie Pepperell has you know called him out on Twitter for that in in recent months. Um, But yeah, the same field is is also obviously a key component of it. And if you think, you know, you're not going to have the likes of Alexi Thompson getting a a sponsor's exemption to Live Golf Jeddah, for instance. Um, So when you've got the same field, it does sort of, you know, it can become, you know, repeatable. Um, When you look at different events on, say, the DP World Tour or the LPGA or the PGA, it's a different 156 every week. Um, and that's kind of what makes those tours what they are. It's because there's different
0: opportunities every week. Mm, interesting, although we've just spent our time saying we don't watch the full series at the PGA Tour because the top players don't play. Um, so there, are, there there, are swings and roundabouts to that. Um, is the OWGR obsolete? do you think, in its current form? I mean, like on whatever side of the debate that you that you set on, whether you believe that Liv should have got OWR, OWGR points or not, and the reality is, and whether they chose to play on that tour or not, I can hear Twitter and Facebook already going, um, the reality is that there are a substantial number of players on that tour who are, by any stretch of the imagination, world-class um, and are not, Um, winning ranking points anymore and they're not um, getting entry into certain competitions and obviously into the majors unless they've got exemptions already. Um, Again, people will say that is their choice. But I'm asking you whether the official world World Golf rankings, as a measure of the best players in the world, is it still valid or not when the PGA champion, for example, is sliding down the rankings because he's not picking up any ranking points. Is it valid in a word? No.
1: Um, with, like I say, you've got Brooks, Cameron Smith, DJ, Patrick Reed, made there's major champions galore in the live golf field not picking up ranking points every week. And obviously, I know you know Brooks and, and Cam Smith have maintained sort of their positions after what they've done in the majors. But For me, there's so many good golfers playing on on Live Golf and obviously not getting rankings points um, that you can't really look to the the OWGR anymore as a sort of, oh, right, okay, yeah, they are the 10 best golfers in the world. Because, for instance, you would put Cameron Smith still in that bracket. You would put Brooks up there in that bracket. Um, And it's very hard to argue that those two would not be in the top 10 for, for most golf fans and most golf journalists like us.
0: So what what do they do then? I mean, it felt to me like reading some of the correspondence that the OWGR had given Liv a kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A route in. Um, you're not getting it at the moment, but there are some criteria here that you can do. I mean, I'm reading between the lines of paraphrasing. Uh, there are things here that you can do that if you do it, and reapply will look at you a bit differently. I mean, that's me paraphrasing, and that's my sort of interpretation of how I've read some of the the, the stuff around it. But I mean, I mean, do you think the same? I mean, do you think Liv have been given a route here into OWGR? Um, do you think it would be a surprise if, say, in a year's time or two years' time, they were an eligibly ranked tour?
1: No, I don't think it would be a surprise because, and I think the the key part of it would be is how is this framework agreement that you know has it seems to have died down all of the conversations about, about that framework agreement. Obviously, over the last couple of months, if something does come into place by January the first, and there is some sort of agreement between PIF and the PGA and so on, then there is every chance that Live Golf will get world ranking points in the very near future. And I think that would be a route in for them as well if it was to, you know, become in part of the September to December season as, as was talked about. um, Would you get more players playing over there instead of on the full series, uh, you know, on the PGA Tour as well? That's another thing to look at. But for me, yeah, the world rankings points would definitely, it wouldn't be a surprise if Live Golf was to get them in the near future.
0: Okay, so this is the podcast of interesting questions for you. I'm not. This is not the easy ride that you get with Chiv. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm going to put you on the spot here. I mean, what do you do with the OWGR and live in the meantime? Do you just accept that it's not ranked and these players are going to fall down the rankings, and that's just tough luck, or do you try and make an accommodation, particularly around where the major championships are concerned? Um, <laughs> Bryson DeChambeau. I mean, he's not what he's not shy um, at coming up with ideas. Bryson DeChambeau, in the wake of obviously the OWGR decision, said that um, he wanted the four major championships to alter their qualifying criteria to make them more accessible. And one of the things that he suggested was the top twelve finishers in the season-long points race on Live could be invited to the Masters, the PGA Championship, the U.S. Open, the Open. Um, which, in my view, was one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. Frankly, um, not so much because of the idea, but the number—the the, the the idea that you're going to invite a quarter of the tour basically to the majors just seemed to me to be completely outlandish. But is there, in seriousness, is there somewhere in between here? I mean, there are a number of players, obviously, Bryson is one of them who can play in major championships because they are exempt. Cam Smith's another, obviously, Patrick Reed. you've talked about, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Koepka, Phil Mickelson. The sort of list goes on. There are already a number of players in there who are going to be playing in the majors for, or at least a portion of the majors, um, for some considerable time to come. But for those players who are not already major champions, does there need to be some accommodation by the big four about this tour and trying to get some of them in, giving some of them a route into the majors that they obviously don't have through OWGR, or is it just a case of, well, you knew what you were doing, you just going to have to wait until you get ranked or otherwise?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the US Open and the Open Championship both have qualifying, which we saw, you know, both Sergio Garcia, Graham McDowell, we saw them try and qualify their way in. Um, and I, I do sort of agree with Bryson's comments not 12 as you say because it's a quarter it's a quarter of the the live golf field that's too much um but i mean you look at the top 6 in the standings at the end of this season and five of them just came up there as you mentioned as being exempt in some form or another there's only taylor gooch who actually has finished the season on top that isn't exempt in you know in one way or another then it's cam smith brooks kepka bryson dj and and patrick reed who of course is still exempt at the at Augusta National for the rest of time. Um, would you say maybe for those who aren't exempt, the top four, top five maybe, should be given some form of route in and maybe a few others below that have the opportunity to qualify at certain tournaments? Um, it's a very difficult one to look at because you're then taking, obviously, opportunities away from other tours and other maybe amateurs or other regions around the world. It's a very tricky topic to try and work out. But I do think there should be some leeway. That Because are, these are some of the best golfers in the world. So they should be playing in the best tournaments in the world.
0: Okay, so let me, let me give you the other side of it. And I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Why? Um, they made their choice to go to live golf, they're being handsomely paid for it. I think last place is still getting $140,000 a tournament. You you play 14 tournaments, $140,000, you're quite well set um, for the rest of the year there. No one forced them to go to live. Um, they did it for a variety of reasons, of which principally the main one is money. I, I think that is beyond dispute. Um, why should golf accommodate a set of players who made a decision?
1: For the game of golf, in a sentence, um, the majors at least that the four major championships should be about bringing the best golfers in the world to those four particular venues each year to see who are who who is the, the cream of the crop, you know. And if you in, in a few years' time, if they are not let back in, you are going to have majors without five time major champion Brooks Kepka, without two time champion. Dustin Johnson without Open champion Cam Smith um and for me that just shouldn't happen because those players have earned the right to play in the major championships um but obviously but, but you, you say, could you could
0: say on the, you could, you, <clears throat> you could say on the other side i mean that i mean clearly they've got uh, long standing um exemptions for the tournaments that they've won but they don't have lifetime exemptions from all the other majors. I mean, it, it lasts for a variety of time. If they don't perform in those specific majors, then do they have the right to be cut co- to be invited on the basis of past opportunities? If they want, if you know, if Dustin Johnson wants to play in the Open Championship, for example, and his exemptions have expired from the Masters or from the from the U.S. Open that he won, then. He doesn't have, does he, a, a, an automatic right to be in that tournament? Um, he should play his way in either by winning the Open Championship or performing well in it. Or, I, I mean, I just I just wonder whether reputation should count as much as anything else. There is this kind of idea that um, you know these 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 players because they've won these events in the past should just have a free pass almost through all tournaments until they decide to hang up their their golf spikes. Is that right? I mean, if Dustin wants to play in the Open, he can just play well in an Open, can't he? Yeah, or he can go
1: to Open qualifying and, and qualify through there, but he they probably exactly. won't. Um, it, like I say, it's a very difficult one. <laughs> it's, it's a very... You are sort of trying to throw me under the bus a little bit here.
0: Um, it i'm just i'm just i'm just asking you the rigorous questions that our <laughs> listeners expect from a tour expert matt I'm yeah. just i'm just doing my job um yeah. let us move on because because you because because you clearly you sound like you're crying down the down the team's link so we will we'll, we'll move on um one of the funniest things i thought about live was uh brooks Kepka being told by one of the commentators that he just won an extra four million dollars for finishing third um in the individual series i don't know if you saw that clip um what does that say I mean does I mean he seemed particularly pleased when he when he learned that he'd won an extra 4 million dollars but one of the things that often is thrown at live players is they just just there for the money I mean what what was did you make anything of that was it indicative of a guy who actually just wanted to go and win um and was unconcerned actually about about um the money from the week to week basis I mean did you did you see anything in that uh, little interview as the surprised or am I just making too much of it I've been known to do that.
1: Uh, no, I think for me, he, I, obviously he was happy because he, he just won. He'd just beaten Taylor Terle, Gucci in, in the playoff to to win in Jeddah, where he'd won the year before as well. So obviously going back to back at Royal Greens. I think maybe there was a little bit of, of that. Oh, and an extra four million. Lovely. That's, you know, another extension on the house or, you know, however he's going to spend it. Um, but obviously he just won, I think, was it four, 4 million as well for for winning in Jeddah, if not more, I think for winning the event. So, you know, it's a nice little bonus. But uh, I think he's so motivated by winning, and we saw that at the PGA Championship. Uh, we even saw that at the Masters as well when he came um, joint runner-up. Um, that I think four million is. I mean, obviously, I say it's not much, but for for us, it's quite a lot. Um, but for someone like Brooks, who's got you know so many millions in the bank, I I think he was just cheerily pure joy that he'd finished in the top three and and had obviously just come off the back of winning that playoff as well.
0: Lucky old Brooks. Um, There's been much talked about relegation on the live tour and these exemptions. Um, There are obviously players who are on multi-year contracts. I don't know how long they are. Maybe you don't either. Uh, Maybe you know a bit more than me about it. I I wouldn't presume to say, but um, it is clear, isn't it, that some of these contracts, I think, are longer than others, and we might see some that are expiring. Could we see some live players jumping back into the main tour, particularly if this OWGR situation doesn't resolve? I think we've seen that's happened with one or two already, haven't we, that haven't had the kind of contracts that perhaps someone like Phil Mickelson's had. They, you know, they've dallied with live and then they've returned to, say, the DP World Tour.
1: Yeah, I mean... Obviously, so the top twenty-four automatically have their places for for next season, uh, plus the
0: captains who then finished outside the top twenty-four. But then I'm I'm glad you're going to explain this to me because I haven't <laughs> I haven't watched a whole lot of live right last week, but I just find the whole concept of free agency in that league utterly utterly baffling right yes. so you can you cannot be relegated but still not play on the live tour next year is that right i mean explain the absolute insanity that is free agency to listeners
1: yes yeah, so, i mean it's very american sports um and obviously i've as we i spoke to you before we started recording this i was out at the nfl in london yesterday so it's very much I very much know what free agency is about um so basically obviously there's 48 well there's 50 players who played on live golf in the end this year with a couple of injuries and players coming in and, and so on the top 24 of those they are set for next year in the teams they are in as well they're in what live have called the lock zone um in a nice little green banner on their website green for good obviously um to so the top 24 um all the way down to louis tazen who finished at 24th they are safe then the captains of course are also safe so Henrik Stenson, Kevin Nahr, Ian Poulter, Bubba Watson, Phil Mickelson, Lee Westwood and Martin Keimer. They all finished outside that top 24. But because they are skippers of their own teams, they are exempt. So that means there is 31 players who are definitely back in the teams they are currently in for next season. For those who finished outside the top 24, this is where it does get a little bit confusing. For those who finished outside the top 24, they can still have a live golf contract. Some of them may well be, but they face potential trades or releases by their teams. So, for instance, if the Range Goats fancy getting rid of Thomas Peters, for instance, he finished 33rd, they might try and pick up Pat Perez, who finished 28th. And there may be some sort of swap that goes on, some sort of trade deal, whether there's money involved or the rights to, I don't know if there's going to be draft picks, you know, further down the line with other players that might come in to live from the PGA or from the DP World Tour. That's something else that is, that's another talking point for another day. But that's the sort of thing that could happen. So we might not see, you know, Thomas Peters wearing pink for Range Goats next season. We might not see... Danny Lee with his team we might not see Matt. well we definitely probably won't see Matthew Wolf with Smash GC after everything that's happened between him and Brooks Kepka so that's going to leave some spaces open on teams but then the bottom four which is Jed Morgan, James Pyatt, um Chase Kepka and C Kim they are from what i know gone they are out relegated out of the league um, which means chase will not be able to play with his brother and win a load of money from playing in team events um for me I believe that that means they just cannot
0: play and live whatsoever in 2024 isn't there this this exp, this is part of the confusing nature of this whole thing isn't there some sort of promotion relegation showdown though as well i mean I, I was listening to a little bit of live. Yesterday, I was watching a little bit of Liv, where they were talking about like, and the, you remember like, the, you're too young, but it, before the days of the Premier League, when the playoffs first happened in English football, there used to be this thing where um, a certain club who finished in a certain place in the first division would then play a club that had won the playoff semi-finals in the second division. And I know this happened because Middlesbrough famously, who are my team, famously got into the first division via this route beat chelsea home and away and there was an infamous battle of stamford bridge where it just it just descended into look on youtube everyone um but but there is definitely something going on with that with live isn't there are, are these players actually gone or is there some kind of route back for them through some sort of promotion relegation showdown a one off event which i assume would involve players in the Asian tour as well, those who perhaps haven't qualified as of right. Um, it, it, it does add for me, I mean, I hope you're feverishly Googling as we as we speak to try and explain this to listeners, but it does add to me another kind of layer of complexity to what was supposed to be simple golf, right? 54-hole shotgun start team event. And here we are, we're talking about free agency. Uh, who, who's going to play for what teams? Are they actually going to bring in people from outside, um, to try and, and are they going to take people's places who haven't finished in this relegation area if, if so what is the point of the relegation area um, what on earth is going on with this promotion relegation thing
1: Yes, yeah, so uh, as I mentioned those those who finish 25 to 44 will be in the open zone they will be um, or can still play in live golf next year without having to play in this tournament. and there is going to be a play in event in November it's going to be which what I find very interesting is it will be a seventy-two hole stroke play tournament, um, which might you know cause problems for those four that have been re- or are in the relegation zone. Um, Live golf Executives said this is I think it was back in May that they they believe that the four players relegated, plus an additional four to eight players from that open zone wouldn't be re-signed on, um, so there'd be a sort of twenty percent turnover each year, um, so. This playoff event that's going to happen in it says it, it says in November according to to Live Golf, um, it will be open to the following players: those relegated from Live Golf, so uh, Morgan, Pyatt, Kepka, and Kim, um, the four bottom finishes finishes in the individual rankings, which are the ones relegated, and um, second through thirty second in the finishes on the twenty twenty three International Series rankings the winners of fully sanctioned events on the DP World Tour or PGA Tour in the previous season. So we could see more players absconding those tours and going to live golf. Any player ranked within the top 200 of the official World Golf rankings, ironic after what we were talking about earlier. Um, Any player ranked within the top 20 of the World Amateur Golf rankings, members of the last editions of the Ryder Cup or President's Cup, and winners of the four major championships since 2018. The winners of also the US Amateur, British Amateur, Latin American Amateur, Asia-Pacific Amateur, European Amateur, Eisenhower Individual, and the NCAA Division I Individual
0: Stroke Play. The winners of all those can also play in this tournament. So maybe I just missed it there, but was there any mention there of... of quotes open zone players from live because i just wonder what happens with some of these players that get ditched by their teams but don't get picked up by other teams and they've by got the a contract sounds, yeah by the sounds of it no i think it's if, if so they're sort
1: of in a little in, in sort of like a double jeopardy really in that if you actually finish in the bottom four you have a chance to save your skin and, and get back in but if you finishing that <clears throat> excuse me if you finishing that 24 to 25 to 44 zone the open zone as they call it it, it doesn't seem to me like they are eligible to play in this event um, according to the list of criteria that that was put out um so that is probably where they're well, expecting the turnover to come from in that 20% which i mentioned
0: well maybe some listeners um can Help us with that or anyone who knows a bit more about the intricacies of the Live Golf Tour, of which there seem to be many. I'm going to put my head on the block right now and I'm going to say that no PGA Tour or DP World World Tour player who has eligibility on those tours is going to necessarily risk that to go and play in this showdown event. Um, I'm not saying we won't see some more people going on to live. It it, it is possible, but they'll be going in the same way. I would suspect that people like Mickelson, Westwood, Kymer and Stenson. went. I don't think think anyone's like, right, I don't fancy the PGA tour anymore. Do you know what? I'm just going to go and play in this event. No, I don't think so. Can you imagine if, yeah.
1: I mean, can you imagine if Tom Kim's thought, do you know what? I've won the Shriners for back to back years. I fancy a different challenge. I'm going to go play in this now. (laughs) I can't, I think the fact that there's been nothing said about whether... though, if, if, for instance, let's say Tom Kim does go and play in this qualification event, this playing event, however you want to call it. If he plays in that, will he then be allowed back on the PGA Tour? That's also a question. I think if those players are, I think you will see some that actually go and try their hand in the tournament. um, More so from the DP World Tour, because I think... The PGA Tour, as, as we've mentioned over the last few weeks, the PGA Tour has definitely become a lot... It's seen as a lot, lot higher than it used to be compared to the DP World Tour. So I definitely think you could see winners from the DP going and playing in this tournament, even if there are consequences. Uh,
0: you're mentioning the DP World Tour. There was a DP World Tour event last week. Did anyone notice? Um, I didn't watch a single whole of it, but... Um, there was the quarterfinals of the Rugby World Cup England were playing, um, which <laughs> which did, um, and some teams that look like they're going to absolutely batter England uh, this weekend as well. So let's not get our hopes up. But anyway, um, there was a DP World Tour event on. Um, John Rahm was playing in it, no less. Uh, the DP World Tour has always been a curious one for me because clearly the PGA Tour happens in prime time. Um, for a European audience it happens of an evening which means that obviously we're not at work it's clearly easier to watch the PGA Tour I mean our leisure time than it is to watch the DP World Tour um but then obviously Liv was on over the weekend as well I did watch a little bit of Live in the morning uh, I do have a Sky Sports subscription through Now TV could have watched the DP World Tour um Liv was on YouTube just happened to click on it. I didn't, I didn't watch live for very long, probably about an hour, but I didn't. I didn't watch any of the DP World Tour, and I can't say that I've watched too many DP World Tour events recently. Did watch the Alfred Dunhill, which is obviously a very special event. Um, more actually, because I enjoy the courses um, than the actual tournament itself. But that might be just me. But I mean, what's your sort of view on watching DP World Tour events? I mean, clearly the the fields are. The, the best players in in in, in the D P World Tour are going to be, if they haven't already, they're going to be making their way to the PGA tour. I mean, Ludwig alberg very surprised if we see him play anything other than um D P World Tour minimums next year because I mean I think he I think he's already won one point four million dollars on the on the PGA tour. But even if he hasn't, I mean He's he's I'm sure I, I I couldn't tell you the Race of Dubai rankings off the top of my head, but obviously the top ten players on DP on D P World Tour and the Race of Dubai who aren't already exempt are going to get um, PGA tour cards, aren't they, as part of this new sort of strategic partnership between the two organizations. What do you have hope for the for the D P World Tour? A lot of the live criticisms, haven't they, have been that um D P World Tour is becoming irrelevant. Perhaps they should have signed or should have got a closer relationship with Liv than they did with the PGA Tour. What do you think the future of the DP World Tour is? Does it look promising to you?
1: Me and Chiv had this conversation a few weeks back on, on, this, on this podcast, actually, and, and I think I went into a little bit of a rant about it, actually, which I'm going to try not to go into the
0: same rant this time. I, I- be a bit, more, be a bit more informed this time. I don't, I don't want you to just get angry.
1: Um, no, I, th- I do think that what the DP World Tour has done with next season's schedule in having those sort of mini swings and extra prize money for if you finish top of the standings in each swing and, and so on, and also having places in the Rolex Series events, I think they're all good incentives for those players who are, you know, someone like a Matthew Pavon, for instance, who who won in Spain this week. You know he he would go to the top of in what is the European swing or however they're going to do it, um. But when you you look at the likes of I was just looking down at the, the list of those ten who have got the PGA Tour logo um, next to their names on the Race to Dubai rankings, you've got Ryan Fox, who of course you know won at Wentworth, has won the Alfred Dunner Links. Um, I I think he'll he will definitely come back and play DP World Tour events, um, for sure, um. Someone like a Min Woo Lee, he's on the list. Robert McIntyre, he, I think he'll come back and, and play some of those events. But will someone like a Thorbjorn Ollison come back? Because obviously he's been on the PGA Tour before. Will he stay out there like he did a few years back um, before that incredible singles performance in Paris? Um, he's currently the last man in. He's 16th on the um, Race to Dubai rankings with six players already having their PGA Tour cards, which is why he's on that list. Um but I think the DP World Tour if, next season is big for the DP World Tour. It really is. Um, if they can get apart from the five Rolex Series events, if they can get the big players, and when I, I mean sort of your Victor's, your Rory's, your John Rahms, even your, your sort of your Justin Roses, you know your Tyrrell Hattons, if you if they can get them playing in events that aren't Rolex Series events, you know the big five is on, on the DP World Tour. Then the DP World Tour, I think, has a chance of sustaining its place, you know, at the top table of world golf. If it doesn't, then I think it will struggle.
0: I mean, interesting to see what the categories are on the PGA Tour. I'd need to do a little little more work. This is what happens when you write about club golf ninety percent of your time. But I mean, I'd be if if Bob if Bob McIntyre gets a PGA Tour card, if Minwoo Lee gets a PGA Tour card, if Adrian Moronk gets a PGA Tour card, if Victor Perez gets a PGA Tour card, Juice Loughton, Torbo and Olesen, Yannick, Paul, um, and so on. I mean, that's they are going to play, aren't they, a majority of their golf on the PGA Tour, aren't they? I mean, like, why wouldn't they? Um, the the fields, the money, the potential money out there is huge every single week. Um so you'd have to accept that. Um, I'm, I'm sure someone like Bob, who's got a deep, deep ties to the DP World Tour, would try and would try and mix it up. But that hasn't worked massively well for players in the past. I don't think. I mean, I know that a number of players have gone out there and tried to do two tours. It's pretty difficult. Um, not just because of expense, but time zones and stuff like that. I mean, if those sort of players said, right, we're going to take up our PGA Tour cards and we're going to play predominantly for one season at least um, on the PGA Tour, that's a bit difficult, isn't it, for the DP World Tour? I mean, that's a lot of talent that's not appearing sort of week to week in in your fields. Um, and for those players involved, I mean, I suppose it depends on how their DP World Tour membership stacks up as well, because theoretically I suppose if you've got to finish top whatever on the PGA Tour and you've got to finish top whatever on the DP World Tour, that's going to be a pretty difficult mix.
1: Yeah, completely. I think so, for someone like a Ryan Fox, who obviously won at went with um, a couple of weeks ago, I believe he, got, he gets a two-year exemption from that on the DP World Tour. So he's through to the end of 2025. I had to think about that. 2025. So realistically, he gets a basically a free shot at the PGA Tour next year because he knows if it doesn't go well, he's he can come back on the DP World Tour in 2025. So I think for someone like Foxy, it's it's going to be great for him next year. Um, for those who haven't won over the last couple of years, then it as you mentioned, there's going to be some plane hopping and one side of the Atlantic to the other, uh, you know, several times and trying to play in those Rolex Series events to make sure, you know, they get the points to stay on the DP World Tour membership. Um, But I think there'll be more of that because you've got the eight signature events, designated events, however, the PGA Tour are calling them for next season, where there's only those, you know, 80-man fields, no cuts and so on. Will the likes of a Ryan Fox or a Bob McIntyre actually be in those tournaments, like the Genesis or the Arnold Palmer? For those weeks, I think you will see stronger fields on the DP World Tour than you will normally, um, and I think that might be a little saving grace for the tour as well.
0: Seems far away though from the the heady days of Seve and Faldo and woosnam and Langer and the Big Five and so on. I mean, do you do you sort of fear for the future of the DP World Tour? Um, is there a prospect of it just becoming a diminishing? power in world golf particularly if this framework agreement with live happens and live is welcomed into the fold at some point yes um you know there was this
1: partnership was it the strategic alliance i think it was called between the dp world tour and the pga tour and it hasn't really seemed like that's helped the dp world tour out that much over the last few years um Yes, there's been a few Americans going over and playing the likes of the Scottish Open and Wentworth and then usually you know, the last two events in, in Abu Dhabi and Dubai. But apart from that, there's, there's not much in terms of what the DP World Tour can provide for those, especially those at the top of the game where the PGA Tour can do that. And I think if this agreement between PIF and PGA does come to fruition, then the DP World Tour could very much be like a, a scorned child pushed away into a corner and it could, it could be trouble for that tour over the next few years. Very much so, yeah.
0: Well, we're not going to end on a downer. Um, we're going to end on a positive. What are you looking forward to this week? Obviously, plenty of golf still going on. Um, what's on your watch list this week? Uh,
1: I, do you know, I will. With the way the um, so obviously PGA Tour, as you mentioned earlier, is is usually in prime time. Not this week. Um, because the Zozo is in Japan, so it's going to be early morning watching for those who, who fancy getting up to watch the Zozo. Um, it'll be a sort of, well, UK time, it'll be even, what, an 11 p.m. start, sort of the morning before on Wednesday Wednesday evening, so, you know, 7 a.m. tea time in, in Japan. Um, so I'll probably watch a bit of that um, through the mornings. Um, Andalusia Masters as well. Uh, that's on in the afternoon, but for me, I'm go- I'm going to probably watch quite a lot of Live Golf Miami because it's the team event, the team finale, and I'm quite interested to see how that's actually going, going to work because it's the first time they've they've sort of done um, this sort of event before with with uh, with just the team scenario to it, and I feel like there's some sort of match play event to it, but I, I honestly can't
0: remember how it's going to work um was it um they did it last year didn't they but was it part of an event then um they definitely yeah. had a team competition last year at Doral yeah. I think as well yes
1: but I think it was part of an. there was also an individual event going on at the same time I believe um so whereas this is just a team event so it's two days of intense match play followed by a thrilling every shot count stroke play championship round um that's what it says on their website I haven't just just made that up that's they're thrilling every shot counts. That's what they've put on the Live Golf website. Um, so I'll be interested to watch to watch that and see how it's going to work. From what I can remember, I think it's the top four teams from the standings get a bye on the opening day. Then teams five to eight play teams nine to twelve. The winners of that then play teams one to four on the second day. And then there's the individual, then there's the championship stroke play round on the Sunday. I think I may be wrong, but that's how I, what I think I remember from when they announced how it was going to go into work. So those in the top four teams get a nice little rest day, I believe, on Friday. Um, but I'll be very interested to see how that works, how it plays out. Um, and as you mentioned, primetime TV as well. You know, five hours behind in Miami, so that'll be um, sort of what they'll probably they'll probably start. Usually, they start around one o'clock in the afternoon, don't they? So that'll be a nice. 6 or 7pm start UK time so that'll be good prime time watching on, on Friday
0: Saturday and Sunday Sounds simple Yeah Obviously, obviously we'll have to explain it to people um, but yes I'm, I'm sure there'll be plenty of golf watching ahead this week um, Normal service will be resumed next week I will part the seas and disappear again for the return of Matt Chivers but uh, Matt Coles thank you for joining us this week on the Slamp Podcast. Yeah, thanks as always. Pleasure. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcasts. Uh, You can do so via our website or you can check out our podcast and subscribe on either Apple or Google or Spotify or anywhere where you listen to your podcasts. Thanks as always for joining us. We will see you next week.